Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we, we do come here and we worship you this morning. Uh, we worship you no matter what our week has been like, has been joyful or uh, full of sorrow and still is sorrowful. Um, Father God, because you are faithful and just, um, you give us eternal life in Jesus' name and forgiveness of sins and we praise you for that. Lord, I want to pray for, uh, um, for the Dees family. Lord, I want to lift up to you right now, um, Neil and Gemma and Braden and Rhiannon and the rest of the family and friends. And Lord God, I just pray that they would know your presence right now, that they would know your peace, Lord, amidst the grief. And Father God, that they may, uh, even though they might not be able to feel you even, Lord God, that they might trust in your, uh, your words, trust in your promises, Lord God. We thank you for the life of Lisa. We thank you for the, the fact that she's with you right now in heaven, Lord Jesus, that she's with you in paradise. We praise you um, for that fact. And we praise you for her life and the joy that she's brought us and the joy that she'll bring us, Lord. Just being, yeah. So we, we pray this in Jesus' name. We also want to uh, pray for as well, Lord, a minister in the Philippines. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, with his critical brain damage, Lord God, that you would be uh, working a healing in his life. Father God, there's uh, but one thing that can save this guy, and that is a miracle from you. So we lift him to you, Lord, that the ministry, your gospel in the Philippines may continue through him. Father God, as we continue on, as we think about uh, communion coming up in a moment, Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us focus our hearts and our minds on you. Lord God, that we would be receptive to your word this morning. Father God, we want to remember that great, uh, that great gift of your life on the cross to forgive us, to give us eternal life. And um, we pray this and just that, you, <clears throat> that you'd be here um, with us, ministering to us in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Mason, could you dim those uh, spots a little bit, please? Oh, yeah, that's fine. Thanks. Well, good morning. My, my wife and I usually attend first service, so probably most of you here uh, have seen me around and maybe know something about me, but in case you don't, I'm uh, obviously not from Australia. <laughs> I started life as an engineer in Southern California and then uh, was a small businessman for several years, and then uh, God got a hold of me and I got saved, and over a period of time I became a full-time pastor at a Calvary Chapel church in the state of Washington before I retired and moved here a year and a half ago, and uh, is this a great country or what? I like it here, so. <laughs> All right. Um, so as Phil mentioned, we're doing a series here, and Jonathan got sick. He was supposed to do Abraham, and uh, last week, Gary did a really great job. I'm PowerPoint challenged, and so you're not going to get anything as nice as he gave you, but uh, today... We'll be looking at the story of Jacob, and uh, next week, uh, uh, Joseph will be done. Um, let's just pray. Lord, just thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning and hear something from your word. And so we ask that by your spirit, you'd speak to each heart and mind here. Lord, that you'd give us some truth that applies to our life, and that we would take it to heart, Lord, and that we would go away changed people, being more conformed into the image of your son, because we were faithful to be here this morning. So we give you the message and the time and service and ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jacob, we have the continuation of God's promise to Abraham 
found in Genesis chapter 12, one through three, that God would raise up a great nation through Abraham's descendants. We find the account of Jacob in Genesis chapter 25 through 35, ending with his death in chapter 49. So there are 10 chapters to cover here in the life of Jacob, and we really can't do justice to it in about 30 to 40 minutes. So uh, we'll hit some, a few ideas, and, and uh, hopefully we'll get a good idea of where he's coming from. Jacob lived in the 18th century BC, according to biblical and archeological evidence. He lived for 147 years. He was the son of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. And there are two key thoughts regarding the life of Jacob. First, the unhappiness produced by family trouble and polygamy. And secondly, the transforming power of fellowship with God. The first thing we see about Jacob is God's sovereign elect election of Jacob before he was born. And we'll, we'll pick that up if you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, and we'll start here in verse 21. And you'll have to bear with me this morning as uh, we try to go through and pick up some of the real sense of what's going on. I'm going to have to read some, uh, some of these scriptures to you, and uh, they're kind of extensive. So beginning in verse 21 through 28, it says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents, and Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So uh, the things that we see here is that God has a plan. He is sovereign over all of his creation and over our lives. And we need to recognize that. In verse 26, it says his name is Jacob. And Jacob, his name means supplanter. And that means to put in place of or to take the place of. In verse 27 and 28, we see parental, par parental par partiality. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's not good. When you have children uh, whose, whose parents show different uh, types of affection to, different levels of affection to, you're setting up rivalries, and it's going to cause problems in your family. And we'll see that that happens uh, in a very gross manner here. So the next thing we see is that Esau sells, Esau sells his birthright in uh, Chapter 25, picking it up in verse 29, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. Um, the, 
depending on what translation you use, in the King James or New King James, uh, it says red stew, and stew, or it, your Bible may say pottage, uh, those, those words are probably in italics, and that means that they are, they're not there in the, in the original Hebrew. What he came in and said, Esau came in and said, he says, please feed me with some of that same red. He was so worldly, he couldn't even bother to be, uh, know what the name of it was. He says, for I am weary, therefore his name is called Edom, and Edom means red. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So here, Esau and Jacob may be considered as representative characters. Esau typifies the unbeliever, and Jacob, the man of faith. In verse 27, we read that Esau was a skillful hunter. Only two men in Scripture are specifically termed hunters, namely Nimrod, the rebel. He's the guy who built the Tower of Babel, rebelling against God, and Esau. This reveals something of his true character. Next, we are told that Esau was a man of the field in verse 27. In light of what Jesus said, in Matthew 13, 28, he said, the field is the world. So putting those ideas together, we begin to discern a spiritual truth that's illustrated in the person of Esau. He was typically a man of the world. Contrasting this, two things are said of Jacob, that he was a plain or mild man, dwelling in tents, verse 27. And the Hebrew word for plain is tam, and can be translated as perfect, upright, undefiled. And the reference there is to his, his character. And dwelling in tents may signify that his heart was not tied up in the things of the world. He was looking for that spiritual home that was going to come and the promises of God. And so we ask Christians, where, where are our hearts today? Are they set upon the things of God in our heavenly home, which will soon be here? You know, as we all grow older, how quickly the time goes by, how soon we come to that meeting place with the Lord. Or are we storing up treasures where thieves break in and steal and, and moth and rust destroy? In verse 29, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was faint. So Esau, the man of the world, comes in from the field without his venison, and he's hungry. And faint. And so it is today as humans, we're essentially spiritual beings. There's nothing to be found in the world which will satisfy or meet our spiritual needs. True peace, contentment, and joy come only from an abiding relationship with God through daily prayer and reading the Word. Daily prayer and reading the Word. There are no shortcuts. This book is the thing that God will use primarily to change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes, and change our lives. You have problems in your marriage, in your human relationships. The whole basic fundamental root of that is because you don't have a right relationship with God. I use this stuff in counseling all the time. 
The primary underpinning thing is to point people to Jesus, to get them plugged into a real walk with the Lord, and he will change your life because we cannot change ourselves, but God can and he will. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright. And here, Jacob takes matters into his own hands. Instead of waiting upon God to work out his plan, he offers to buy from Esau what God would have provided him if he had just waited for God to do it in his way and his time. Remember, in verse 23, God had told Rebekah that the older would serve the younger. How often are we a product of the world's system of instant gratification? It says, you deserve it. Buy now, pay later. And rather than wait on God's plan and timing, we take matters into our own hands. Abraham and Sarah did the same thing with regards to her handmaiden, Hagar. They produced the son, Ishmael, the results of which we are still dealing with in the Middle East today. And it's a worldwide problem. And in verse 32, it goes on, and, and, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright. And then Jacob gave him some stew, and, he, and Esau ate and drank and rose and went on his way. And it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. The birthright was no small matter in those days. As the oldest son, you received a double portion when the family estate was divided up. You became the priest and the head of the family. And in the case of this family, it involved the Abrahamic blessing from God that he would raise up a great nation that would be a blessing to the whole world through Christ. And it was through this family that the laws and ordinances and the promises of God would be passed down from generation to generation. But Esau says, what is this birthright to me? Just give me a bowl of stew, man, I'm hungry. And he despised his birthright, and despised means he had no regard for it, and so he sold it for a bowl of stew. And we go on here in chapter 27, picking it up in verse one through 29, it says, now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, Rebekah, Rebekah saying to Jacob, Obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock 
and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse upon myself, and not a blessing." But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go get them for me. And so he went and got them and brought them to his mother and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats, remember this, she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and smelled him and said, and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which has which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So, Jacob here is stealing the blessing. God expects his servants to carry out our responsibilities, our spiritual responsibilities by faith. Unfortunately, faith is not always present, and then matters become complicated. This chapter portrays an entire family attempting to carry out their responsibility by their physical senses and not by faith. Isaac, the father, he knew of God's word to Rebekah back in, in Chapter 25, verse 23, that the elder would serve the younger. Yet because Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob, he set out to thwart God's plan by wanting to bless Esau. Rebekah was no heathen. We are told back in uh, verse 22 of, of chapter 25 that she knew the Lord. She went to inquire of the Lord about the babies she was carrying. She should have trusted the Lord to work out his will. But instead, as we often do, she took the way of the flesh. She plotted against her husband and taught her son to deceive his father. 
Jacob complies with his mother's suggestion and in effect adds sin to sin. First, he impersonates his brother. He tells lies to his father. And then he goes so far as to bring in the name of the Lord in the deception in verse 20. Where Isaac said to him, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. A bold-faced lie that he brings God in to participate when he in fact had gone to the flock and got the kids of the goats. How quickly sin will lead us to any length once we take the first wrong step. He goes on here in verse 30 of chapter 27. It says, Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your your son, your, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. That's a lie. Esau sold it to him. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Here we note two things. In verse 33, it says, Isaac trembled exceedingly. In a moment, he has come to his senses and realized that God's intention was to bless Jacob. In verse, the last part of verse 33, it says, I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Isaac finally has, has his mind and heart in the right place. He is now by faith blessing Jacob. We may feel sorry for Esau. He has been a fool in selling his birthright to which the blessing attaches but let's look at the truth behind the story. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul writes in verse 9 and 10, 
Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, in order that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is, that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sour, the sour, <laughs> the sorrow of the world produces death. And that's where Esau was. He was having sorrow of the world. He didn't give a rip about the blessing. He didn't care about the spiritual uh, fruits and, and things that would come from God through that. He cared because he was hungry at the moment, sold his birthright. And, and so often, that, that's how uh, we can even be as Christians sometimes. We're sorry because we did something wrong and now have to suffer the consequences of it. And we're not sorry because we realize in heart and mind that we violated a godly principle. We've brought sin into our life. And repentance means you stop doing what you're doing, you do a 180 and you go the other way. And God will give you strength to do that. Tears are not an infallible sign of repentance. In Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, it says that there may be no immoral or godless person like Esau, an immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. So we really see the real character of where Esau was coming from. We go on here in uh, chapter 27 and verse 41. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for our, my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself by concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. And then coming over to chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, Isaac's father calls Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, the house of Bethel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So Isaac blesses Jacob again and sends him off to Padan Aram. So Jacob starts off in this journey of about 450 miles. And if you're from Australia, that's about 725 kilometers. And after going about 50 miles, he lays down to sleep and he has a dream. We see here in chapter 28, verse 12 through 15. It says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, 
I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. He, so he has this dream. And in, in the New Testament, in John 1, 51, Jesus is saying that he's the latter. He's, it says here in John 1, 51, he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The point is that Jesus is our direct access to God. All the blessings we enjoy, God's grace and his mercy, come to us through Jesus Christ. We can also observe that Jacob at this point has left his home. His brother is out to kill him. He has nothing to speak of. He has not been walking in a faith-filled relationship with God. So why would God appear to him and give him such a spiritual vision? Here again, we see the sovereign election of God at work. He chooses and uses those whom he decides to use. It is not based on our goodness or abilities. I'm living proof of that. I did not come to know the Lord until I was 44 years old and I had trashed my life. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought I would become a pastor. We also see here that the transfer of the birthright from Esau to Jacob, which had been validated by his father Isaac, is now validated by God himself, giving assurance to Jacob that he is recognized as the vehicle of the promises. Picking it up again in, in chapter 28, verse 17, it says, and, and Jacob was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place. It is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob's response to this divine experience of seeing this ladder going up into heaven is that he has a fear before the Lord. He erects a memorial stone, a pillar, and he consecrates that stone by pouring oil on it. In the name of that place, he, he changes to Bethel, where previously it had been Luz, which means separation. Now he changes it to the house of God. And for the first time, he's expressing his faith in God. He says, the Lord will be my God, and he promises to tithe. In chapter 29, 
Jacob is in Haran, and his family trouble continues. Jacob meets Rachel, his uncle Laban's daughter, and he loves her and wants to marry her. And here we see the principle of sowing and reaping begin uh, to enter in. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. So picking it up here in chapter uh, 29 and verse 16, We read, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, or bleary, and, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Beautiful of form, you guys, you know what that means. <laughs> now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may lay with her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he lay with her. And the deal here is that these girls wore veils back then, and, and during this whole wedding ceremony, she probably was covered up. And even to the point where she came to Jacob's tent at night, and uh, he didn't know who he had. He knew he'd married somebody. <laughs> now, now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he lay with her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah, don't name your daughter Zilpah, to his... He gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to, Jake, to, to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years." Then Jacob did so, fulfilling her week. That's the week of the marriage, the Jewish uh, wedding ceremony, uh, feast, and so on. And, he, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. And then Laban gave his maid Billa to his daughter Rachel as a maid. And Jacob also lay with Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years to pay for Rachel. So what we see here is that as Jacob had deceived his father Isaac in order to receive the blessing, so now he is deceived by his uncle Laban in the marriage of, of Leah. Not only this, but as Jacob had deceived Isaac by, by putting on the skins of the kid of the goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck so that Isaac would feel him and think he was Esau, so too will Jacob later be deceived in, in the story of his favored son Joseph's death because they took, as we're told in Genesis 37, chapter, uh, Genesis 37, verse 31, they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. How awesome God is when he brings judgment. 
Also, for Rebecca's part in the whole scheming and deception, she had thought that Jacob would only be gone to her brother Laban for a few days. She would never see Jacob again. In chapter 30, we see that Jacob has a long and sordid 20-year struggle with his father-in-law. And we are told of the jealousy between his two wives and the giving of their handmaidens as concubines. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2, it says, But because of immoralities, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. God's plan is one man, one woman. And it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's just, it's terrible. Churches in this country condoning homosexuality. And I'm not just bad-mouthing Australia in a sense. It's worse in America. That stuff is an abomination before God. And they put you to death for it in the Old Testament. Of his wives and concubines, 12 sons were born. He's got, of his wife Leah, we have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. And of his wife Rachel, Joseph, and she later has Benjamin and dies in childbirth there. And of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, uh, has, she has the sons Gad and Asher. And of Billah, Rachel's handmaid, uh, Dan and Naphtali. And this polygamous family was accepted of God as a whole to be the beginning of the 12 tribes which became the Messianic nation. They were chosen of God to bring the Savior into the world. This shows us here a couple of things. First, that God uses human beings as they are to serve his purposes and, so to speak, does the best he can with the material he has at hand. Secondly, it is a testimony to the truthfulness of the Bible writers. No other book narrates with such candor the weakness of its heroes and things so contrary to the ideals that God seeks to promote. So God had blessed Jacob over these 20 years. He has 11 sons. He's rich in flocks and herds and servants. And this brings us to chapter 31. In verse 1 and 2, it says, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. And in verse 11 and 13, through 13, it says, Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. Laban had changed his wages ten times as he worked for him over these 20 years. And he says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land, and return to the land of your family. So Jacob gets his household together, and while Laban is out shearing sheep, Jacob leaves. And Laban hears about this and pursues after Jacob, and after a seven-day journey, catches up with him. 
But God had come to Laban in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And after some discussion, the two of them agreed to part company on good terms, and they set up a heap of stones as a memorial of their agreement with the understanding that God is a witness between them. In chapter 31, verse 49, he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. And that's a Hebrew kind of benediction that they still uh, voice today. May the Lord watch between you and me while we are absent one from the other. And so a major idea that comes out here is that no matter how much bad stuff someone may do to you, God is watching and he will bring justice in due time if we but trust and wait on him. In chapter 32, verse 1, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. It says, so Jacob went on his way, and the angels, the angels of God meet him. And in Psalm 91, verse 11, it says, For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Um, I don't know how it was here about five, six, seven years ago in the States, there was a whole kind of almost angel worship thing going on. People wearing little gold pens of angels and stuff. And it, it really got to the point where it was overdone and it took the eyes of people off Christ. And they were almost, oh, I got this guardian angel and my angel appeared to me and spoke to me and it was just weird. We don't want to go there. We want to keep our focus on Jesus. But we should never lose sight of the spiritual battle that is constantly being waged for the souls of men. And of children of God, we have the good guys, these angels, fighting on our side. Ministering spirits are sent to Jacob to strengthen and encourage him for his upcoming encounter with Esau. And he sends messengers to Esau and learns that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And here we see how Jacob has been transformed into a man who is putting his trust in God. So he prays here in chapter 32, verse 9 through 12. He says, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of all the least of the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. He, what he's talking about is when he left home, all he had was a walking stick. And now he's served Laban 20 years, and he's got herds and servants and flocks, and he's prosperous. And he goes on and says, Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said... I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So Jacob's throwing it back up to God here in verse 12. He said, you said, surely I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea. I'm going to bless you. How could he become that blessing if his brother Esau comes and kills him and all of his, his wives and, and children? So here we see how Jacob has been transformed into a man who's putting his trust in God. 
And what a blessing it is that God is always ready to help those who have learned by sad experience that we are quite unable to help ourselves. His promise to us is in Isaiah 40, 29, he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. In 2 Chronicles 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Is your heart fully committed to him? So Jacob sends gifts on ahead of his brother Esau to get on his good side, but that night he has a definitive encounter with God. And we'll just read through this quickly. I'm, I'm getting uh, running out of time here. In chapter 32, verse 22, it says, And he rose that night and took his two wives and his two female servants and eleven sons, and he crossed over the fort of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent, what he, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it you ask about my name? And he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So there is much that could be said about this encounter, but we only have time to look at a couple of things. Jacob's name is changed from Jacob, meaning supplanter, to Israel, which means prince with God. The second idea we want to gather is that are, are we as persistent in our prayers to God? In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall knock. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. So often we give up way too soon. In chapter 33, Jacob and Esau have a loving reunion. In verse 4 there we see, he says, And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. When we read the whole account, we see that Jacob was quite worried that Esau would kill him and his family. He was not exercising much faith, even though God had been faithful to provide for him many times. There is still much that we could learn from God's dealing with Jacob's, but there's not time this morning. I want to leave you with this encouragement. When we read in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith chapter, we find no mention of the failures of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They stand like us in God's grace, forgiven. And when God forgives us, he casts our sin as far as east is from the west, and he remembers it no more. From James chapter 4 and Philippians 1, it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you 
will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just um, thank you that you have not left us on our own to figure it out, but you have given us your word and your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding. And so we just ask that whatever you've spoken to our hearts this morning, you would allow us to take away from here and that we would be faithful to apply it to our lives, to seek after you that we might be changed into the image of your Son, bringing glory to you. In your precious name we pray. Amen.